brought to you by Communications by Design. This is the Transforming Learning Podcast, where we talk with teachers about classroom strategies that elevate teaching and learning. Our mission is to support teachers. So if you hear a strategy or idea that you find helpful, share the episode with others and subscribe to the podcast. We always appreciate feedback, so take a moment to leave a review as well. You can dive deeper into our resources and services or connect with our instructional coaches immediately by visiting cbdconsulting.com slash elevate edu. We hope you enjoy. This is our hopefully contribution to the leadership dialogue because many people think of leadership as management and those two things as the same thing and they're not. Like if you're expecting, you know, title holders and people in positional authorities to demonstrate leadership skills, you're going to be gravely disappointed when they don't. And that's because management is about a job title. They're responsible for processes, procedures, things. Leaders, it's about how we engage each other. We can have leaders at any stage or you know level of an organization. Where leadership and education merge, incredible things happen. This is episode 28, and here's Pete to introduce our guest. Hi there, Transforming Learning Podcast listeners. This is Pete Grostick. On today's episode, you're going to hear a conversation that I had with Angie Morgan. Angie is the New York Times bestselling co-author of Spark. How to Lead Yourself and Others to Greater Success. She also co-wrote the book, Leading from the Front, No Excuse Leadership Tactics for Women. Angie is the co-founder of LeadStar, an organization that works with businesses to grow leadership. She's also appeared as a guest on CNBC, Fox News, and CNN. Before all of that, Angie earned an MBA from the Ross School of Business at the University of Michigan, and she served as an officer in the United States Marine Corps. In today's conversation, we talk about aspects of leadership, including credibility, feedback, we even touch on mental health and mindfulness. I hope you enjoy. Without further ado, here's Angie Morgan. Angie, thanks for coming on the podcast. Hey, thank you so much. It's good to be here. Angie, I was introduced to your work through actually my wife. She was given your book Spark by a colleague at work and, um, and gave it to me, thought I'd be interested in reading it, and I loved it. So it, it really came with the highest of recommendations from my <laughs> wife. Um, and so I'd really love to, to kind of go through that, um, that book with you, how it connects to education. But first, if you wouldn't mind... Could you give us some background about Angie Morgan, who you are, and kind of some formative experiences that might help our listeners get to know you? Absolutely. Well, first, thanks to your wife for (laughs) forwarding along a leadership book. I love people who share leadership ideas and concepts with others. I think it's a really contagious subject, so that's awesome. I grew up in, a little bit about me, I grew up in northern Michigan in a small time town of Kalkaska and it was interesting it was really pre-internet so my worldview was pretty small I knew one thing growing up in a small town I wanted to um, go to a large public university and my parents were really encouraging of that they were public school teachers my 
they were. My dad became an administrator a little bit later on, but my mom was my English teacher. My dad ended up being my high school principal. And so um, they just really encouraged me to pursue my dreams. I went to the University of Michigan. And after I graduated, I went into the Marine Corps for four years, which is really the institution I credit uh, where I learned leadership. It's interesting because in you know U of M's fight song, you know, they proclaim like we're the leaders and the best. And one of the things I've since learned about leadership through my experience is that it's probably one of the most undertaught subjects in our educational pursuits. Mm. Um, just because I went to U of M, you know, leaders and best, I didn't learn leadership in my education. I learned leadership in the Marine Corps. And it's a really unique institution if you think about it. It takes and transforms average Americans into Marines who are willing to put their lives on the line for their country. And at 21, 22 years old, I had a platoon of 50 Marines who were pretty much in my same peer group. And learning how to lead them, not through money, not through bonuses, not through stock options, but just interpersonal skills was yeah. a pretty transformative experience for me. Yeah, excellent. Um, in your, you've, you've actually written two books. Yeah. Um, the first book you wrote, Leading from the Front, uh, No Excuse Leadership Tactics for Women. You talk about being a woman in, mm -hmm. in the Marine Corps. Um, I think you mentioned at the time there was about 180,000 Marines and only 1,000 women. You are right. So, so what, <laughs> what could you tell us about that experience, being a woman and a Marine? Well, for the women who are listening, you might think that those odds sound fantastic. I'll say that. <laughs> there are easier ways to meet men, actually. <laughs> actually, I met my business partner and co-author in the Marine Corps, and I've actually known her longer than I've known my husband. And what was really interesting about that experience was that she was somebody who I connected with quite quickly, that we could process what it is to be a female growing up in this really male-dominated environment. We would talk about it certainly while we were in uniform, but more importantly, after we left active duty, we were able just to have these thoughts about how did this experience change us, especially now that we're, we were, then after we left active duty, we were working in environments where it was 50-50. What was unique about our past? How was it relevant to our present? And how are we different as a result of that experience? And one of the most important things I think we both took away from it was that you know in the Marines, there's so much you can't control about perceptions of gender with mm. others. Like I can't control the fact that a male colleague may have some hostile opinions towards women Marines, or I can't control the fact that my upper body strength may not be as strong as a man. I can't control the fact that because I'm shorter in stature, my gear might not fit right, or that the pistols that you know the the military procures don't actually fit really well in my there's so fit really well in my small hands. What I can control though is how I show up every single day. I can control my attitude. I can control my commitment. I can control how I treat people and the service I provide them. I can control how I am a leader to the people around me. Hmm. And that I think was the most powerful lesson that. I pulled, I think Courtney would probably say the same thing. It's like there's so much we can't control, but you can always control how you show up each and every day. And that piece, you can own that if you get over all the things you think are roadblocks and just focus on, okay, what is going to make me successful? It sounds like a, a, a habit of mind, really, of 
looking at what is actionable and what is just circumstance that is out of my control and um, that's very difficult to do so it is do, hard to do do you have i mean do you have any <laughs> tips or tricks on how you go about making sure you're focused on what you can control yeah well i recently heard this quote um from marion williamson who i'm a proclaimed geek about her work um but she's like if you want to change your world you have to change your mind and I love that because it just reminds us that so much of we observe and we see and perceive, we have a lot more control over it if we pay attention to what it is that we're thinking. Now, psychologists will call that, you know, um, cognitive discipline or just some of these executive functions that we sometimes let go unattended, much to our demise too, because left to um, their own advices, well, we might think worst case versus best case. We might you know, seek out threats versus thinking about how we could be more positive and seek out opportunities because you know, our mm. brain does sense to look out threats. So I think the very first thing I would say is just pay attention to your thoughts, especially when you're troubled or pressured or feeling challenged. Are you on your side or aren't you on your side? Mm. How do you get on your side? And so in our second book, Spark, we spent a lot of time talking about confidence, which um, doing our research, I was fascinated by the fact, like I think I thought I should say that confidence was just something that you had or didn't have. I didn't realize it was an emotion and like any emotion, you can manage it. And there are really specific techniques to doing that. But one of the very first things is just pay attention to your thoughts and are you generating positive appraisals? because you really are the only one who can control your thought processes. Let's continue to jump into to Spark then. The book is Spark, How to Lead Yourself and Others to Greater Success, written by yourself and your two co-authors, yep. Courtney Lynch and Sean Lynch. Who aren't married. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they just have the same last name. Yeah. yeah, yeah. In fact, yeah, Sean writes about that in this book. Um, yeah. Uh, Courtney married his brother, is that right? That's true. Yeah. Sean had a brother, yeah. has a brother, yeah. and that's who Courtney ended up marrying. Yeah. But it, it's really, Spark, um, congrats on the book, Angie. It's really, it's a wonderfully accessible book. Lots of insight into real ways people can become leaders. And I, I, I really, uh, let's dive right in because there's a lot, of, a lot to talk about. Um, first, what's a Spark? That's a great question. Um, <laughs> we think about sparks as the people who are just doers, the people who just get stuff done. We work with them. It's like you don't have to give them much direction, guidance. You give them an idea. They see possibility where perhaps other people see you know, threats or obstacles. They're the ones who say, hey, we can make things better. I can make things better. And they just go out and do it. And when we see sparks in organizations, we try to get them projects, high visibility opportunities, because one good spark can just ignite a movement. They can ignite change. They're the people, if you know your organization is trying to adopt new technology or a new curriculum, you give them leadership opportunities because they can be the ones to champion mm. and really push things through. And so our, the concept around Spark was that if more people understand what is making these people different, right? What makes a standout person a standout person? And we call that leadership behavior. More people knew that we'll have more Sparks. Yeah. And really for, for the teachers listening, we want our students to be Sparks. Yes. We want to develop that at a very young age and continue that. And we want that to emerge not only in school, but then whatever they do beyond K-12 education. Absolutely. We want Sparks everywhere. And I think that's the 
you, you mentioned earlier, just like leadership, it's, it's being undertaught. And this is our hopefully contribution to the leadership dialogue because many people think of leadership as management and those two things as the same thing. And they're not like if you're expecting, you know, title holders and people in positional authorities to demonstrate leadership skills, you're going to be gravely disappointed when they don't. And that's because management is about a job title. They're responsible for processes, procedures, things. Leaders, it's about how we engage each other. We can have leaders at any stage or you know level of an organization. You know, sometimes the meekest child in a classroom could demonstrate leadership skills just by how they solve problems. Yeah. And maybe like the most outspoken yet charismatic person in the classroom who could be the most popular may have the worst leadership skills because they use their powers for bad, right? right? right. They cheat on tests. They don't do the things that um, are, are positive behaviors. Yeah, you talk about in the book some of the myths of mm -hmm. leadership, and, and the one that really resonated with me was this idea that leaders need a title. And, you know, in education, we it's very hierarchical, right? You've got students, you've got teachers, you've got maybe department chairs, you've got principals, and then you've got administrators at central office. And so I love the idea that that's a myth. You know, leaders don't need a title. You can be a leader with whatever responsibilities you have. And, then, and that goes for teachers and for students. And along the same lines, too, I think people wait around for somebody to call them a leader. Um, don't do that. Just say, mm -hmm. I am a leader. It's a title you can take and own for yourself and then act like one. And just think about the behaviors that build influence. And, you know, small things. It's like in committee meetings. Be the person to step up and say, I'll lead the next meeting. Or be the person without being asked who's going to take notes and send them in the email follow-up. Or be the person who says, you know, I see an opportunity for this initiative. I'm going to just take it and own it. I mean, that's how people, I'd say leaders, distinguish themselves. Just by that, doing the obvious and just a little bit more. Okay, let's talk about credibility. That's that's a, a big topic in, in your book, Spark, as well. And um, you talk about credibility being the combination between character and performance. Mm -hmm. and, and you give some really kind of neat ideas on how we can improve performance and how we can really um, show our true character. And, and one that really stuck out to me is this idea of having a very narrow say-do gap. Could you talk about what is the say-do gap and why, why is it important to have a narrow one? No, that's a great question. And before I get there, I'll talk about just this concept of character and um, credibility. Because at the foundation of those two concepts is that together they build trustworthy relationships. So if we're saying that leadership, how we define it, is about influencing outcomes and inspiring others, how do you do that? You can really only do it if people trust you and likewise you're willing to extend trust to others. So how do you build trust with other people? And that's where the character, right? You're, you're a good person. <laughs> you know, you're just, you know, you know your values and you live your values. You know it and people around you see it. You know, you're consistent with that. Because we all know somebody who says they're one thing and then does another. We don't really trust them. And so that's the character. And then the credibility, which is another way to um, talk about performance is that you do good work, right? I mean, we've worked with people who maybe were really high character, just really good people, but their work product was kind of sloppy or inconsistent. We trusted them to an extent or that 
you know, their character was shady, but they had high performance. <laughs> and then we trust them not that very far. But when those two things are together, it's really magical. Um, because again, if it's a good person doing great work, suddenly there's a lot more trust in that relationship. We're willing to follow them. And one of the trust, I would say, meters that we can use internally to gauge if we're able to build trust with each other is this concept called the say-do gap. What do you say you're going to do and what do you actually do? You know, are you committing to things that you're not following through on? Because if so, that's a really wide say-do gap. And that's a really good, if you can get that mental picture, like the wider your gap, <laughs> the less trustworthy you are to people. There's a kind of a colloquial phrase that goes with that, like you're flaky, you're just flaky. And that those types of inconsistencies really do damage your reputation when you're looking to build influence with people. I love the quote in the book. You talk about one of the problems sometimes with feedback is we're worried more about what, how we're going to look or how we feel mm -hmm. and not so much about the person that we're giving feedback to. And you tell a story about uh, a sergeant major and two lance corporals in Hawaii. Do you, do you remember that? <laughs> I do remember that. that. Yeah. yeah, it's so, it's um, one of the most important things that I picked up from the Marines is that well, one of the most interesting things that happened during the Marines was that I always knew where I stood with people because feedback just flew. Now, mind you, it could have been a little bit more tactful. <laughs> it could have been, you know, more, more thoughtful for the receiver. You know, the deliverer could have spent a little bit more time thinking like, how am I going to say this so it lands the right way? But regardless, despite my emotions, I always knew where I stood. And that didn't always, that wasn't always the same case working, I worked in pharmaceutical sales following the Marines. And even with the work that I do now, it's like sometimes, you know, you do client work where you're just not really sure if you're getting the feedback you need to do to be successful. And so we really promote the idea of giving feedback. But I also think too, when you think about feedback, you have to think about the receiver versus yourself and giving it. And so the story that you're talking about is, I remember um, early one morning at the command headquarters building where I worked, um, I walked in, you know, I walked up to the front porch and I saw the sergeant major of the base having two Marines who worked on my staff um, at full attention. And they were just getting their butts chewed over something. And it was in a very public setting. And I quickly went up there and I saw the sergeant major, even though I was much younger than he was, I was an officer. So I outranked him, you know, I was one of those managers. And I'm like, hey, Sergeant Major, what's going on? These guys work for me. And he kind of grumbled, said something, and walked away. But what I noticed in these two Marines is that they just got their butts chewed in a very public setting. They were embarrassed. Um, it was humiliating. And I thought about this relationship between them and the Sergeant Major going forward. If they were to have problems, would they really go to the Sergeant Major? If they saw him walking down the hall, would it be a positive experience? Mind you, the Sergeant Major could have given these Marines um, the feedback they needed in a way that would preserve their dignity. This wasn't boot camp where everybody is humiliated. <laughs> this was a professional working environment. And so I, that, that, that um, experience carried with me a lot because I think that that's something that we need to, I think all of us need to just do a better job. It's like if you're going to give people feedback, how do you give it in a way that makes people want to grow, develop, get better versus shrink? And it takes a little bit of tact, but it also takes a little bit of time to think, I got something to say to somebody. How would they like to hear it? 
in a way that's going to motivate them to improve. Mm. And I believe if we can all do a better job of thinking about the receiver of our message, we'll be better communicators. You know, Angie, teachers give feedback constantly. Uh, it's really one of the main roles of a teacher is to give feedback to students. And it strikes me that sometimes we probably think that we need to give feedback immediately. And there's a lot of value in immediate feedback, especially if it's very just factual. But what you're making me think about is, you know, perhaps it's okay to let something sit for a while so that I can deliver that feedback in the right context. Because the purpose of a feedback, like you said, is to motivate, is to change behavior. And if giving that feedback in front of a whole class or something, and it's perhaps not going to be very well received, then it won't do the job I'm trying to make it do. I, I agree. It's like one thing to tell a student, you know, you may want to think about that answer on a test, you know, go back and rethink that. And that's an easy feedback, you know, that's helping somebody. But, you know, again, thinking about like, maybe you do have a loud, obnoxious student in the classroom. Maybe you do have, um, you know, somebody who's just inappropriate. I, I'm thinking of a situation. I run with my middle, my son's middle school cross country and the star runner needs to step up and be a better example for the junior runners. And that's a conversation that actually, as we're talking, is brewing in my mind. Like, I need to pull him aside and say, you are amazingly talented. Your talent is extraordinary. And you could be such a better influence if you set a better example. Just simple things, right? Yeah. Like not talking out of turn, not doing the wise cracks spending more time with the slower runners and building up their skills. Like that's leadership to me. And so I, I think about that to your point. Um, sometimes you really try to be tactful and how am I going to say this? That'll get the message across because we give feedback all the time and we may not even know the impact of our words, but especially for those choice moments, yeah. being intentional is good. Okay. Demonstrating accountability means relentlessly seeking ownership of mistakes, missteps, problems, and any other less than best outcome you are either responsible for or associated with. So you're telling us that we need to relentlessly seek out those places where we've made mistakes and take ownership of them. <laughs> I, I have this interesting client experience recently, and it it's reinforces to me that accountability is easy to understand, very easy. Like I don't, you don't have to, you don't need a college, high school, or even elementary school degree to understand like basic concepts of accountability, but it is hard, especially in um, the moments when we need it most. I was working with a, on a client project recently and what stood out to me was how everybody in the organization communicated with blame. So imagine that you know you and I are co-working, and I send you an email. Two weeks later, you know you say, "Hey, you didn't send the email." I'm like, "Check your inbox." But I mean, again, that that go-to response was blaming me versus, "Oh, I didn't get, I didn't see the email. Maybe I missed it. Let me do some research first. Oh, see, there it is." But it was just kind of funny how. Um, in that environment where no one gave anyone the benefit of the doubt, nobody took responsibility first, um, it really put you on edge. Uh, I 
constantly working on this client project, found myself on the defense until I was able to build trust with people and point it out and saying, you know, you accuse before you accept responsibility. And one of the things um, I picked up from the Marine Corps, so the Marine Corps is great because it's rich in sayings, but I love the phrase that you're responsible for all your team does and all your team fails to do. And it's easy to be responsible for successes. It is hard to be responsible for failures. Yeah. I have a colleague of mine who works on the Lead Star team. He did a stint at the Minnesota Vikings. And when they went pretty far in the playoffs, you know, one of those big games that they won, I mean, everybody was accepting responsibilities. Like people who, you know, people who passed out towels, the bus driver, people who were, you know, handing out their, their checks. Like everybody was a part of the win. But when they lost one of these golden games it was amazing how um my colleague was sharing it was just amazing how they were all blaming the players and it mm. was just funny it's like again victory everybody lines up to take credit but failure um it, it's really hard to put your ego out there yeah <laughs> and let yeah. it get trampled on so part of that credibility and trust that you've been talking about is this idea of, of empathy and mm -hmm. in the book you you tell a story about um, Captain Harper. I'll let mm -hmm. you tell the listeners his nickname, and uh, and how he, in a, a moment that was important to you, showed you that care and empathy, and how that was so meaningful for you. Could you tell us about that story? Yeah. So the story is under this concept called service-based leadership, and it is that very empathetic approach to building relationships. Uh, and serving the people around you. Um, people ask all the time, you know, Marines, why do you go up those hills fighting for your country? It's like, well, yes, of course. More importantly, though, you're fighting for the Marine to the left of you, to the Marine to the right of you. You're serving them, and you're in many ways subordinating yourself to their needs. And likewise, they're subordinating their needs to you, and that's what makes a really great team, is that everybody recognizes the strength of the team. M is more important than your individual needs. And so it's, you know, using that kind of mindset, you're constantly looking out for others and seeing what they need to be successful. When I was just graduated, I had just graduated college and was in the first six months of my uh, infantry training program, I was struggling. Like this was the first time when the curriculum got truly challenging me in the Marine Corps. And one of our instructors, his name was Captain Harper, but he didn't call himself that. He called himself Coca-Cola because he was the real thing. <laughs> and he was intimidating. He was loud. He was the type of person that you would say, man, you know, think about your like most difficult professor, difficult teacher. Like, I didn't necessarily like being in a room with that person, but I learned a lot from them because they were just so exacting on standards. And so I was intimidated by him. And during a moment of my need, um, during training, he was the one to let me know that my grandmother had passed away and it was a pretty emotional experience for me and i thought he i thought because he was so tough that he was going to be a jerk about the whole situation and not tender or not empathetic but during that moment when he announced or shared that news about my grandmother he had done so much to take care of me he had called my parents told them i was coming home arranged to get a plane ticket he had you know told the training officer I was going to be gone. He had coordinated my you know, follow-on training while I was absent. He had done so much. And when I got home to be with my parents in Northern Michigan, he even had um, flowers delivered to their home. And it was just, from that moment on, it really 
helped me understand what it was like to experience service, and it made me want to be more of a servant leader, mm. which is different than how we're th we often think or how we're raised, right? Um, so that was a pretty powerful experience. Very neat story. Okay, so Angie, earlier you, you talked about kind of this idea of being aware of your thoughts and how those really do impact us. And in the book, you call this um, self-appraisals. Mm -hmm. Like we have these running stories in our mind and, and if those are positive or if those are negative, that really does impact us. Um, in schools right now, there is a movement uh, called Mindfulness for Schools. And the idea is, with mindfulness, of course, mindfulness um, meditation is to just kind of be aware of your thoughts, right? And in that awareness, we can then um, kind of set those aside when we need to, or at least not attach those to our identity. Can you talk a little bit more about self-appraisals and kind of the importance, of, at least, of knowing those stories that are running um, through our minds? So a lot with performance psychology relates to these self-appraisals. There's that great Henry Ford quote, like, whether you think you can or you can't, you're right. And what I found really interesting doing some of the research on the self-appraisals and confidence, confidence is by how, you know, often it's described, it's called self-efficacy. And that's really how good are you in the moment when you need to be. And a lot of it has to do with what thoughts and words are going through our minds because they have powerful influence over what is going to happen next. And I always thought this was interesting in the Marines that we had a phrase like, your mind is going to quit on you before your body does. And so when you think about, you know, those introductory trainings, whether it's boot camp or Navy SEALs, BUDS programs, I mean, your mind is going to turn on you before you're going to physically fail. And by fail, just meaning like, you know, I cannot go on. Thing. And so how do you get then those mind, your mind to be on the same page, right? To be aligned, to think that you can do just a little bit more. And it does. It starts being, and I like with the mindfulness, it's about being present in the moment by being very focused on what is going on in your mind and rewriting the script, which is, I, th I think is key. It, are you on a hero's journey or are you playing the victim? Hmm. How do you grab control of that narrative because you could be on the wrong journey you may not be the heroine or hero in your story and you need to get back in that position hmm. and so there's mindfulness that I've, I've been fascinated by there's this other concept called narrative intelligence to really understand like the story that you're living out because you could be living out a story that actually looks like Groundhog Day. Is your plot line advancing? And so what is your narrative and what are you saying? And extend it out on a timeline. Is this going to help you? Is it going to help you get to your goal? And I've been just really fascinated with those concepts. When we started, um, started our company, Leadstar, it was very much a focus on how do we share these leadership concepts and ideas. And 15 years into our consultancy, we now spend a lot more time on how do we help people get inside their own minds so they can be receptive to these ideas, so they can build those behaviors into yeah. their routines. Yeah. I'd, I'd love that concept of narrative intelligence. Can you tell, where, where did you learn that? Where did you pick that? I've never heard that before. Can you talk more about that? Yeah, it's, um, the work that I'm referencing is, her name is Carol Pearson, and she 
has this really kind of funky and cool, I say that because it's just, it's called archetypal um, indicator. So you can learn about just the narrative and the narrator that you're living out your story. So there's an assessment called Pearson's Mars Archetype Indicator that I've been just having a lot of fun with lately. <laughs> you know, you take like all these self-awareness tests like DISC or Myers-Briggs. I found this really interesting um, because the Pearson Mars um, type indicator just simply because it was a different way for you to understand what was you know going on in your mind and I get excited by the idea that you get to write your story yeah and your story isn't written for you you're still developing it you're creating it and you get to drive it um, kind of a kind of a heavy topic but yeah. um, in your in your first book leading from the front you talked about the experience um, with your brother mm -hmm. um, and uh, who took his own life and some of our listeners may know that um, my father took his own life 10 years ago so it's something that we share an experience that we, we share and you know mental health in schools is a big challenge it's a huge challenge we see a lot of um, positive indicators around you know crime and teen pregnancy and, and drug use and those types of things with teenagers but unfortunately rates of uh, mental health and suicide are not dwindling like those other indicators and so just wondering if you could talk a little bit about you know that experience that you had and now kind of as a survivor what what how that's kind of changed you and shaped you yeah my um i was you know mid 2000s when my brother chose to take his life and he was a student at central michigan university and anybody around him would have said, oh, that was a real big surprise. He was always the life of the party. You know, we didn't notice anything different. And, you know, as his sister, I noticed a few things, but nothing that was going to be alarming. And I don't know if the same is with your dad. Maybe yeah. you knew that they struggled with um, depression or substance abuse or, you know, again, like maybe you see things, but you, often tend to see whatever you want to see or we get so busy sometimes that we feel you don't have power or influence over other people and so looking back on that experience in hindsight of course i saw things that i wish i would have been more um tuned in to address of course you can't go back in time you right. can only go forward and i um talk about dan's loss a lot because i know that it may not have been me who would have had influence over the direction that he was taking. But I believe somebody could have reached him. Hmm. And I think that in this, this world that we live, we spend so much time absorbed in what do I need to get done today? What do I have to do to be successful? I'm just barely making ends meet or I'm just barely you know, keeping my head above water. But when we can pause and look around and assess the circumstance and understand how we're all really connected to each other, that you may have one word that if you could deliver it to somebody that can change their day, hmm. it can change their mind. It can make them feel more hopeful. But do we take that time to make those connections? And do we feel that we are empowered to really have influence over others? So I. You know, I, I think that's my biggest message around mental health is we may not feel it's our place, but if not you, then who? 
And if we can take ownership of how, you know, ownership of our environment in the sense that I can make a difference to somebody mm-hmm. today just by saying something kind, then do it. Offer it up. And if you see something that is inconsistent with a colleague or a classmate, say something. You could have, your voice could be that voice that can make a difference. Yeah, that's powerful. Yeah. You know, my experience was was similar in that it's really only in hindsight now that I look back and and see some of those kind of warning sides with, with my father. And I think it really speaks to you don't know. That person, we hear this all the time with suicides, that, that, that people are shocked. Oh, I never would have thought it would have been him or her. And I think that just speaks to the importance of what you're saying, which is be positive, solution-seeking, be kind. Because it could be somebody that doesn't show any warning signs, but that kindness that you show them could make a, a huge impact on their kind of mental story that they're telling themselves. What we found with the work that we do is that a lot of, you know, a lot of um, professionals. I work mostly with within businesses and organizations. We've become so focused on self awareness to the point that we become self preoccupied, mm. and that isn't helpful. More of the work that we're, you know, talking about mindfulness. You know, how paying attention to our thoughts, controlling our positivity. We're also spending a lot more. Um, focus and direction on this kind of sense of like this collective, like who are we together? And I think that that's something I'd like to see more, not just in education, but in businesses and organizations too. Who are we together? How do we behave? Um, Do we take care of each other? Because I think oftentimes like the world's problems are so large that it's not gonna take one person, it's gonna take a collective attitude, committed people to, to address them. So how do we, build that collective conscience of caretaking yeah. at its simple form. Well, Angie, you're, you're inspirational. The work you've done is amazing. I, I really encourage all of our listeners to, to go read your books. Thank um, you. I'll make sure that those are, are linked in our show notes. But where can people find you if they want to see the work you've done, if they want to um, Follow the future of Angie Morgan. Where, 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 where would you send them on they the internet? Come out to Traverse City. No. <laughs> Actually, um, right now we have an offer on our website for three free copies of Spark. And so if you visit sparkslead.us, we like that idea of Sparks Lead Us, but sparkslead.us, um, you can order your complimentary copies, and there's a host of videos and handouts. What we wanted to do with this website is to make free content for specifically educators, anybody who wants to spark a leadership dialogue in their environment. We want to give them the tools, the resources, the videos, the handouts, the PowerPoints, whatever they want to create a leadership presentation, because we recognize that we, we feel that there is just a... a big hole in our universe waiting to be filled by positive leaders and we wanted to do what we could to help fill that space Hmm. well thank you thanks for doing that thank you and i think i'll just end with another quote from the book oh thanks yeah one lone spark can transform a blame placing group into a results oriented team that is shaping its future that is the powerful impact that sparks can have oh thank you for doing that i appreciate it angie thanks for coming on the podcast today thank you Thanks for listening to Transforming Learning by CBD. 
Continue the conversation with us by visiting cbdconsulting.com slash elevateedu, where you can contact a coach immediately or browse more resources like this one. For more podcast episodes, visit anchor.fm slash cbdpodcast or subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app. Help us get the word out by leaving a review and rating as well as sharing on your favorite social media platform. Remember to tag at CBD Consulting.